Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's Word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message. From Matthew chapter 4. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he went through throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. All right. Paul, I'm sorry. Is Matthew 4, not 5. I got the wrong text. I got the right text and the wrong text. I'm glad you guys are here. Uh, Kiddos, we have Elevate this morning. Uh, the Nevels are going to be taking you in and teaching you stuff. So if you are first or second grade and you want to head out, create a little bit more space in here. And we are going to start, uh, in here, we're going to start a sermon series through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we're going to be there for a while. Um, and I want st- to start with... so. Um, maybe the most controversial thing this, that I'll say this morning is because I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not a Chiefs fan. Um, and you can tell me I should root for them because it's the same state. And I will tell you that their owner shouldn't have voted for uh, our football team to leave. And nobody cares. Remember we had a football team? You guys remember that? Once upon a time. All right. Now we have, that's right, Kaka. So I'm rooting for the Battle Hawks. Uh, and baseball season. All right, uh, but even potentially more controversial than that to, to this crew here is I'm not a huge Marvel fan. I know. I mean, most of you guys know that, right? I know. If you need to get up and leave, just wait and do it at an appropriate time. Um, but there is, there, there's a movie that I do enjoy, uh, that I do particularly enjoy, um, and I, they're all entertaining, and when I watch them, I, I am entertained. But I don't know how in the world you keep up. Uh, and, but the one, that I, the one movie that I, that I really, really liked uh, was Black Panther. And there's so many things that I, that I enjoyed about it. Um, uh, the setting was beautiful. I loved the technology. I loved the writing. I loved the struggle and the humor and the conflict uh, a powerful but hidden kingdom, and the tension of what to do with vibranium, right? And the power of vibranium, and how do you steward that in the world? And what does that look like? Uh, do you use it to destroy your enemies? Do you use it to help your own people? Um, what have been the abuses in history? What have been the neglects of protecting this power? What's the responsibility of, of this people to their own and then to the world around them? Uh, and then Chadwick Boseman, who played King T'Challa, King uh, he 
passed away in August of 2020, and it was revealed that he had had cancer for four years. So he had cancer during the filming of Black Panther. And after that, I don't know, it just, it took on a different depth for me in watching that movie and reflecting on all that. Um, it gave me the feeling of, of a kingdom that was to come. It gave me the image of a king that was very strong, not insecure, but humble. Women who were fierce and powerful, and yet not governed by anger. A kingdom of virtue that consistently offered grace and renewal. And a kingdom that struggled with how to live that out. The necessity of being in the world and being for the good of the world. And so, in, in no way was Wakanda a, a kingdom that I could claim by birthright. But the more that I saw it and experienced it and watched it, and I haven't seen the new one, um, but the more I saw that, the more I wanted it. And reflecting on uh, when, when Bozeman died, reflecting on his portrayal of the good king, it just hit me. It hit me. Uh, it brought both tears and hope as I would watch this movie again, that there is a glorious kingdom that we can begin to taste in this world, and yet it is beyond this world. I didn't know much about him aside from the movies he made. He had cancer for four years, and somehow very few people knew that. Uh, so his public life was very separate from his private life, but from what I saw in his portrayal of T'Challa, he made me long for a home and the coming kingdom and a good and honorable king. Second Samuel says this, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. So this morning we are going to start a sermon series walking through the Sermon on the Mount. And again, I don't know for how long, but Jesus in his entry into this, his introduction, this is introduction sermon number one, by the way, uh, and so that should give you a hint on how long we're going to be here. Um, but what he says when he walks in, this is, this is how Matthew puts it, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, or the kingdom of heaven is near. And Jesus claims to be the one that he is going to usher it in. And he's going to use some, some phrases and some terms, some things that we've heard often, some things that we've said, some things that are just part of our common vernacular, some sayings. Uh, but I think if we take them on further examination and we apply them as deeply as they go, we may struggle with or we may have to go, you know what, maybe there's more to this teaching than I first noticed. Even in just studying this for the last six months has been really challenging. Hopeful, but challenging. So we're going to spend 
uh, more time next week in the second introductory sermon on getting the setting of the Sermon on the Mount and the time and the time frame that Jesus is in and who he's talking to and all that kind of stuff. But this week, we're just going to look at this idea of kingdom. Jesus is going to paint a pretty vivid picture to his disciples and the crowds that have gathered. His words are going to inspire. They're going to confuse. They're going to tick people off. And every person there, at the end, at the conclusion, we see that they are astonished at his teaching. So we'll, we'll take as much time as we need. Um, we'll probably have some breaks here and there. Maybe take a little time over the summer to, to, to uh, catch our breath a little bit. Um, and, and this may go faster than I'm thinking. I don't know. We may hit, like, Beatitudes and cover them all in one week. I don't know. Uh, it may go faster or we may be here till Jesus ushers in the final consummation of his kingdom. <laughs> Who knows? Um, but today what I want to do is I want to break down this phrase, the kingdom of heaven. Or you may see it in other, in other uh, places as the, the kingdom of God. It's, those are interchangeable. Those are the same, uh, they mean the same thing. And we're going to look at all of the richness of this phrase and this concept. So we're going to look at the what of the kingdom, the how of the kingdom, and the who of the kingdom. Now, I have been taught, uh, I have been told, and I, told, I was told I could quote a famous refuge theologian, one Kayla Smith, that the only kingdom better than chief's kingdom is God's kingdom. Okay. Another phrase I heard recently is, nobody shows up uninvited to a party quite like chief's kingdom. I will not take time to argue the some obvious potential second best kingdoms today, uh, but we will look at least about the truth that God's kingdom is better. All right? So, the what of the kingdom? Um, the kingdom of God is essentially life on earth under the rule and reign of God. Uh, and we ought to be slow to think uh, of, of a, a presumption of what that might look like. We're, we're told what that looks like, but essentially when we talk about the kingdom of God, it is life on earth under the good rule and reign of God. But, but what's also important to understand is the kingdom of heaven is not just appearing here for the first time. It's one of the lenses actually through which we can see all of scripture. Whenever we get up on a Sunday, we talk about the grand narrative of scripture. Created good, then we rebelled, uh, and then we are being redeemed, and then one day we will be restored. All things will be made new. Kingdom is one of the lenses through which we can see uh, scripture. And so when we hear Jesus coming into town and kind of saying, I'm declaring that the kingdom of God is here, it is near, it is at hand, we may go, okay, what does that mean? Was it here before? Did it go somewhere? What is, what is the kingdom of God that he's bringing in and where has it been? So yes, the kingdom of God has been here before. Jewish listeners, uh, to Matthew writes to Jew a Jewish audience, and they're going to know this, and they're going to connect with this. So when was it here? Well, the kingdom, the kingdom of God begins like all great kingdom stories uh, that we would tell. It begins with a once upon a time. Or as Moses will write in Genesis, in the beginning. It's at the very beginning of Scripture. Now, sometimes we can read Genesis 1 and 2, 
Uh, one, of the, one of the rules of, of Scripture that we violate often in our day, one of, we violate a lot of them, one of them is when we ask the text questions it was not designed to answer. Sometimes we can read Genesis 1 and 2, and we can have a tendency to kind of ask the text scientific questions. And let's look at the science of this. And it's important to know that these chapters were not written to address scientific questions. I think they do and they can, but we need to be careful and cautious when we ask the text to answer something that it wasn't designed to, uh, to answer. For example, how long uh, did it take for God to create the, uh, the world? Moses was writing to a people who had been in captivity. They had been fed the creation stories of the Egyptian gods, the Enuma Elish, the other Mesopotamian uh, stories and narratives of how the world began and the structure and the function of that. And so what Moses is revealing to these people as he writes the story of Genesis and the God of creation is he's not telling them how long it took God to create the earth. What he is telling them is that there is one God who created all things. There is one God who gave all things function and design. There's one God who put all things into place. And I don't think we realize just how foreign of a concept that would be in the ancient world. That God establishes his rule over all creation. He assigns creation its order, its position, its function. And then when he completes his design, day seven, he sits down and rests on the throne overseeing the kingdom that he has created and beginning his rule and reign. Now, in the ancient world, these stories were told with different, much, much different, all right? They were told with multiple gods. They were told with gods uh, that created the waters and then gods that created the skies and then gods that created certain parts of the land. Uh, the bigger gods had bigger function and they would create kings and rulers. And image bearing that god, there would be certain, certainly in the, in the Egyptian world, Family members of the Pharaoh would bear the image of God, but then the people, by and large, were created by other gods to be servants and slaves. And that's the narrative that people had come up with to tell the story of the world that they were in, to explain the world around them. Um, something that's interesting, in the, the afterlife in the, in the ancient world, you may have seen this depicted in movies or other things, in the ancient world, the afterlife was actually pretty dreadful. It was like existing in, in monocolor and you, you kind of existed in envy of the living. Okay, that was the common thought of what the afterlife looked like. Uh, and so nobody was really in a hurry to get to the afterlife. People wanted to live. However, there were certain rewards in your theology, your view of the gods. There were certain rewards for certain kingdoms and certain lands. Kings could actually be considered somewhat divine and could have larger reigns in the afterlife if their kingdoms had expanded and were dominant. And so that was the motivation often used by kings to talk their people into going into war and expanding their kingdom. I, was, I thought that was fascinating to learn that. Um, so we have this concept throughout the world, throughout the ancient world, of kingdoms, of expansion, of God's creating. But in Genesis, we have one God that created all things, which is a pretty remarkable distinction, which means for the Hebrews, when they're hearing this initially, there is one God that created both them 
and the Egyptians. And that's a pretty big realization when Moses writes this. That God created all things and he created them good. And even more outlandish in the, in the ancient world was that all of this was created good. And rather than creating mankind to be cosmic servants, to do the biddings of kings and, and the gods, he created mankind as his vice regents. He gave them authority to rule over, to bless, so that the world would be fruitful and multiply. That they would bear his image and steward creation. Mankind was created, the original creation story, mankind was created to govern over this earthly kingdom under God's authority, not to pillage and conquer, but to tend, to nourish, to cultivate, and to produce beauty, productivity, trust, justice, all of these things. This was all part of the original design of God's kingdom. And it was good. This is all kingdom language that would operate under the goodness of the king. And if you've read more than two chapters in the Bible, you know it goes terribly wrong. We have two whole chapters of things going really, really well. And then it goes bad. The kings and queens of the earth, Adam and Eve, choose their own appetite over God's kingdom. By chapter 11 of the Bible, we get to the point of mankind building their own city, the city of man, not as image bearers of God, but as gods unto themselves, their own glory. This is the story of Babel. We have attempts at a bit of a reorg with the nation of Israel, God fashioning a people that were to bear his image uh, as an earthly kingdom. God would bless them, and those who blessed them would be blessed, and those who cursed them, God would curse. Um, and we have the law. The law is given to give both reminder and parameters of the way God designed the world to be and how to live that out and how the world should function now that sin and distortion and perversion have entered the picture. And so kingdom of heaven language is well known throughout the Hebrew scriptures, but it's constantly messed up as both individuals and as a people. So we see that the kingdom of God was actually established in creation and it went bad. It was rekindled through Abraham, through the people of Israel, but it went bad again. So how now is this kingdom being reintroduced and restored? And this is where we get to, and we tell this story every Sunday. This is where we get to, from this people comes the person of Jesus. Genesis 3.15, there will be a seed uh, and, and so there is this promise in all of the story of the Hebrew Scriptures is God protecting providentially this seed that would carry out this one day. And so Jesus has come to re-usher in the kingdom of heaven. And not only is he an image bearer of God like Adam, but he is also God himself. He's come as the God-man to triumphantly declare that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is near. And he begins the work of reestablishing God's kingdom, his kingdom rule on earth as it is in heaven. Um, something that you'll notice, we read this morning, and we'll get more into this next week as we start to really unpack this. Jesus 
is going through all these regions and he is declaring the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And do you remember from the scripture, do you remember the first thing he does after he declares that, what Matthew says? He heals. He restores. Demon possession. Sickness. Everybody starts bringing people in toward him. And the reason he does this is because this was not part of God's original kingdom. Sickness, death, all of those things will not be a part of this future kingdom. And so Jesus, in his words and in his deeds, right off the bat, is already giving us a display of what this restored kingdom will look like. And then Jesus will also, once again, enlist citizens of this kingdom, human beings who are being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit through the life and labor of Jesus to bear witness to this kingdom and, and our devotion and worship to the king. This kingdom will not be established like other kingdoms. Um, there, there's something tricky in preaching from a gospel, and, and I'm going to, this is, we're going to kind of go back and forth on this, and you'll hear this more as we go through the sermon, uh, through this series. There's something kind of tricky when you preach the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are accounts of the life of Jesus in Scripture. And here's what's tricky. You have the original, uh, we have to consider a couple perspectives beyond just our own. You have the original hearers uh, of these words. The people that Jesus was talking to. His disciples and the crowds that had gathered. Um, it says at the, end of the, uh, at the end of this that the people were astonished. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount. That they were astonished. I want to tell you. I am quite certain they had no idea and would never have guessed where this teaching was heading. They were astonished. I don't necessarily think it was like, whoa. I think it was more like, whoa. What is happening here? Who is this guy? He talks like someone who has authority. And he's not teaching like the other rabbis. And Jesus actually invites them to follow him and even at times to worship him. And at the end, he says, hear my words and put them into practice. So we have the original hearers, but then we also have the original readers. Matthew is taking the words that Jesus is telling to this particular people in this particular time, and he is putting them in words that he wants to write to this particular people in this particular time. Does that make sense? You tracking with me? So Matthew is, is organizing the words and the teaching of Jesus to teach primarily a Jewish audience about the life and teaching of Jesus. And, what, and they knew something very significant that the original hearers did not know. Right? The, the resurrection. And yet we're probably still astonished at what was all taking place here. All right, everybody still with me? Take a deep breath. We'll get to all the food and hot wings here in just, I promise, in just a few minutes. All right. This man who was preaching these words, he would not establish the kingdom of God by political means, nor by military means, nor by traditional revolutionary means. Those are the ways the history of the world has always told the establishing of kingdoms. This is the way every kingdom is established. But not this guy. 
This is different. This man would ascend to the throne by his death. He would not establish his kingdom by taking the lives of his enemies, but by the giving up of his own life. And then, for the original readers and the original hearers, and even all the way up to us, anyone who would follow him, he would call us to the same call. Not simply death, but beyond death, to resurrection. And so this kingdom begins to take root, not in rising up, but in laying down. Not in prideful triumph, but in humble servanthood. Not with swords and guns, but with love and self-sacrifice. I want you to listen to this one, okay? I want you to hear this. If you hear nothing else today, hear this. Following and trusting Jesus is not how you get to heaven when you die. It is how the kingdom of heaven gets into you while you live. Let me say that again. Following and trusting Jesus is not how you get to heaven when you die. It is how the kingdom of heaven takes root and it establishes itself in you while you live. The history of Christianity is nothing if it's not complicated and nuanced. When the church has power, things get a little hairy. If you read history, if you read modern history, if you read the news, things can get tricky. Corruption of power, use of Jesus language with more city of man tactics. But then there are also these stories, probably more than we know, uh, certainly more than we know, more than could be told, many of them never recorded because they were never seen by man, of the transforming presence and influence of followers of Jesus laying down their lives, sacrificially loving others, giving of their money and their time and their homes and even their own lives for the sick, for the poor, for the outcasts, for the marginalized, for the widows and orphans, for strangers, and yes, even for enemies. And this is how this kingdom of God starts to spread. So how is this kingdom established on earth as it is in heaven? Not by votes, not by coercion, not by mandates, not by purity culture or cancel culture, not by guilt or judgment, but by followers of Jesus making the effort to put to death what is earthly in us and to put on the forgiven, restored, resurrection clothes and be conformed to the image of our king. And who is that king? This is the best part. In these three chapters of Scripture, this assembling of the greatest sermon ever preached, Matthew 5 through 7, we see and we get to know the king, the good king. Not just to learn about him, but to actually know him. And I'm going to promise, I want to do my absolute best. I can get sidetracked. I want to do my absolute best, and you can call me on it if I don't, to bring to the forefront every time this glorious king. 
We're going to learn more about Jesus from his words, from his teaching. We're going to learn about him, and that's okay, but this also gives, you, gives us a great chance to actually get to know Jesus. And I want to make a promise to you. You're going to read some of these. You're going to be like, oh, this is tricky. Jesus is not out to trick us. He's not out to frustrate us in the wrong ways. He's revealing in his words, in his teaching, in his confrontation, all of who he is, as well as all of our tendencies to try to be him. God and or Savior. So when he frustrates us, when he undoes our plans, oftentimes he is frustrating our bid to take his place. Because we may get into some of these teachings, we may get into some of these conclusions, uh, and, and there's going to be sermons where I'm just going to let us sit in attention at the end. I'm not just going to give us a nice, neat bow um, and uh, to wrap everything up with. We may sit in tension in some of the, ends of the end of these teachings, uh, especially the, the you've heard it said, but I tell you, which is, which is the second half of all of Matthew 5. And we may get to the end of the te- one of his teachings, and we may be going, all right, so, so I can't do this. I'm not supposed to do this. Right. But then I can't do this in order to not do that. And this doesn't make me any better if I do this? Right. So, okay, then what is my hope? And to hear from our good and gracious king, to gently put his hand under our chin, and to lift up our eyes to catch his, where he looks at us and he says, I am. I am your hope. Through religion or irreligion, you cannot pull another comfortable chair up to this table. Your only hope is me. And this is the one who rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God. He dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like the rain that makes the grass to sprout from the earth. This is our good king whose rule and reign will know no end. Here's your assignment for this week. Okay? It's just like last week. I want you to read through the Sermon on the Mount again. Uh, Matthew chapter 5 through 7. You can take into account some of the things that we've talked about this morning in the introduction. But I want you to read it with some different eyes. Um, if you're reading through and you've heard some of these things, notice the, things, notice the statements, notice the things that you've heard that have maybe become old hat or maybe are, are a deep comfort to you. And, and just put a check mark by those and note those. Note the things that you're struggling with that you may read and go, eh, I don't know about this one, Jesus. But what I want you to do as you read through, um, I, I want you to meet Jesus in, in his teaching. I want you to read through this and I want you to ask him questions. And I want you to take your struggles and your comfort and your joys to him. What do you mean by this? 
okay, Jesus, I have a problem here. Um, I'm doing the things that you're saying that we shouldn't do. And then the big one, like we're, it's, this is going to be the fun week. It's a while from now. Lust, all right? Am I supposed to cut off my right hand and gouge out my eye? Because I think I could still lust without my right hand and my, and my eye. What, what am I supposed to do? I want you to ask him these questions. No shortcuts. Ask God for wisdom. How do I navigate this? What am I supposed to hear from this? Ask God for wisdom and be careful not to just take shortcuts and say, oh, well, this is obviously saying that this and I need grace and then we'll cover that here and then I'm baptized, we're good to go. That may be true, but it also needs time to like dig in us and pull some things out of us. But I want you to meet Jesus and I want you to have a conversation as you read through this with him. Jesus, this seems impossible. I do the thing you tell me not to do. Jesus, this prayer is beautiful and is hopeful and I want more. Can you teach me more? And I just want you to take time and dwell with him throughout his words. Our hope for this sermon series is not to simply, it's not to learn more. I mean, unless that learning just brings us into contact more with the person and work of Jesus. All right? This is the king who actually invites us to know him, to dine with him, to trust him, to follow him, to hope in him. It's not the king that remains aloof and just sits back and tells you what to do. Let's pray. Jesus, I, I will be the first to confess. Sometimes it's, well, every time. It's easier to know more about you um, than to actually sit down and know you. It's easy to sit and kind of pontificate on what did you mean by this and what's going on here and, and what does this systematic uh, approach to scripture say about these words and how do I apply my theology to these things and all this and, and th those things aren't bad except you didn't, invi you didn't invite us to form a systematic theology. There, it's helpful. It's a tool. But that's not what you invited us to do. You invited us to know you and trust you and to declare our allegiance to you and to follow you to death, but not just to death, beyond it, to resurrection. And then you invite us to put those on, that, those new clothes, and to walk and follow you in the, in the newness of life. So I pray that your words, your teaching, the presence of the Holy Spirit would, would move in us and make us ask good, hard questions to get to know you and trust you. We, I, I believe, we believe that you are good and faithful to make yourself known. Work in our hearts and our minds for your glory and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Building our identity in Christ for the sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church. For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.